all full of authentic points of view. Myself alone have at least 22. They come from the things that we have been through. Those things can either make or break you. Life is full of ups and downs. It's our choice to either smile or frown. Please choose to smile today. Because it's one thing that's free to give away. People say that life isn't hard. It's what you make of it. But what if only struggle surrounds you? What can you take from it? Life can be hard and some things aren't fair. Please listen to others just to be aware. All I'm saying, you never know what someone's going through. Just because they look happy doesn't make it true. Hopefully this podcast will help you see. You are not alone. You have at least got me. We are more alike than you may know. But if we stay quiet, we will never grow. Don't ever give up because you got this. If you quit, think of all the opportunities that you could miss. Welcome to Authentic Points of View. I am your host, Daniel Brewer, and I'm a hot mess as always. Oh, yay. So I'm excited. Um, I hope this is going to the right place because I literally, um, yeah, anyway, fun times. So I'm excited about today. It was supposed to be a whole show for Father's Day. Um, and now we have one awesome father. So we're going to actually just talk about a whole bunch of stuff and it's going to be fun, but it's going to be a roller coaster. Okay. So Shane Thrap, what's up? Hi. Welcome. Hey there. Uh, thanks for having me on again. I appreciate it. You're welcome. So you're on season two, I believe, or season mm-hmm. one. I don't even know. Uh, yeah. Then this is season three, and I'm excited. Thank you for coming on. And happy belated Father's Day. Yeah, I had a good Father's Day, by the way. It was actually a lot of fun. Um, because it was also my wife's birthday. Oh. And uh, so we got to go out to eat. We got to go like have fun with the kids. A whole a whole bunch of stuff. So that's so awesome. I'm glad that you had a good Father's Day and happy belated birthday to your wife. So you have twins, mm-hmm. and sure then did. how old is your oldest son now? My oldest son is twenty, and my oldest daughter is seventeen, sixteen. 17 I think okay um, and then I've got the twin four-year-olds oh four geez okay so whoa, that's a lot okay mm-hmm. now if people don't know you are an ADHD life coach yes I am it's really awesome because um you diagnosed me I'm just joking <laughs> just joking you're not you don't diagnose people right it just a joke um my joke is that dr tiktok diagnosed me but i have had it my whole life i'm sure and i wanted to ask you about that but we'll get to it because girls don't get diagnosed usually until they're adults and from what i read but we will talk about that in a little bit so i'm excited to be live and you know, uh, we will let our ADHD fly and just go from one thing to the other. 
follow along, everyone. So what age were you diagnosed? Because I know you were diagnosed late as well. Mm -hmm. Um, What age were you diagnosed with ADHD and how did you figure it out? So I, so my oldest son, the teachers called us um, and they were like, well, we think your son has ADHD. And my ex-wife was very anti-mental health and you know, I just wanted to be there for him, right? And so I started just learning everything I could about ADHD. And this was back when I was 29-ish and everything. And I just met my uh, now wife. And we, um, like, I was like, man, there's there's a lot of stuff here. And I, I kind of, you know, I went in, into the room and I was, I was like, hey, uh, Darcy, I think I have ADHD. And she's like, oh, honey, you didn't know? And I'm like, <laughs> no I didn't know she's like oh I just thought you were being a dude about it and you just ignored it I'm like no I just didn't know and she's like well yeah I'm fairly certain you do but uh, it was complicated because go to a psychiatrist and I tell them what I'm dealing with and they're like oh no it doesn't sound like you have ADHD it sounds like you have depression right because I go in and I tell them like yeah I don't have any motivation to do anything I you know it's like you know, kind of blah, you know? And what I didn't realize was I was just dealing with overwhelming burnout. And whenever they tried to give me depression medication, it really made me have a lot of problems. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to get a second opinion. Went to the second doctor and I told him what I had been dealing with. But then there had also been some like really weird highs and, uh, highs and lows. And he was like, oh, it just sounds like you have bipolar disorder. Mm. All right. So we wound up moving a couple of years later and like I had been trying different uh, bipolar medications that did not work very well, except for a mood stabilizer. It, that wouldn't actually help me quite a bit. And I went to a new doctor and I, and I, by this time I'd been researching ADHD for three years and I went in and I said, Hey, I'm fairly certain I have ADHD. And she was like, well, uh, you know, let's go through this and we'll see. And so as we're going through the testing and everything, and she's asking me all these questions, she's asking me all these questions and everything. I was just like, yeah, I deal with that a lot, you know, and it's just like from one to five, you know, how often does this happen to you, right? And about halfway through, she was like, stop. She was like, are you, are you masking or something? And I'm like, I have no clue what she means at this point. And I'm like, and she's like, cause you, you just seem very stiff. Can you just relax? And I was like, well, if I relax, that means I'm going to do some weird stuff. And she's like, what do you mean? I don't know. I just, she's like, okay. And so I stopped looking her in the eye. Right. I started just kind of letting my hands do what they normally do. Which actually are watching me do it now. Um, my legs started doing their thing and I just have ticks. Like, right, certain questions will make me tick, certain things will make me tick, smells will make me tick. And as she's asking me more questions, and I kind of feel like like 100 questions into it, I'm like, oh my God, my brain is dying. And she's like, I'm going to ask you a few more questions. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> I was like, just like, just diagnose me or something. Tell me you don't have anything. She's like, no, nope, I think you have ADHD. I'm fairly certain about that. I'm like, okay, oh man. She's like, I also think you may have autism. And I'm like, what the fuck? 
I'm sorry. I don't know if I'm allowed to curse. Uh, but no, um, but no. Uh, so she was like, I'm not sure though. And the testing for autism is, is pretty expensive at your age. Um, you know, I don't, well, you know, we'll, we'll look into that later, but yeah, I definitely know you have ADHD and I'm, I think you have autism. And I'm like, all right, so what does that mean? She's like, well, we're going to try on some medications. And so that was a slog. About a year and a half later, we found a combination that really worked for me, which is pretty common, actually, for people with ADHD, because like, it's a cocktail of stuff that you deal with, because it's just, it's not just ADHD, it's also um, comorbidities like autism and, and uh, PTSD and depression, bipolar, all of these are just like comorbidities that go along with autism. And, you know, a couple of years later, I was in a better place to be able to afford the autism test. And so when got tested, I actually was, you know, diagnosed with that. They uh, called it Asperger's. We're not supposed to call it Asperger's, but, it's, you know, you know, I don't have as severe social issues as other people. I like certain things like I don't like looking people in the eye, right? I have the the hand twitches and the stimming. Um, I have the need for structure and order around me. And I need to have like a lot of like, there's certain food textures and certain clothing textures I can't stand. I have to have things in just like specific spots where I lose my shit. And, um, but yeah, that was, that all that whole thing was from 30 to 34. And then 36 was when not, I finally was able to get the autism diagnosis. I'm 42 now. So. Awesome. So yeah. So that's, that's a lot to deal with. And, you know, my son got diagnosed with ADHD at four and, but he was severe. Like he was born with it. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, if they diagnosed babies with ADHD, he would have been diagnosed. Uh, he came out literally scratching himself, uh, moving like as soon as he was born and he wouldn't, he never stopped moving and he never slept. And I remember going to the doctor for my follow-up and my eyes were so black and sunken in. And the doctor looked at me and now mind you, I'm 20 years old with two kids. Okay. And they're a two-year-old and a newborn. And so that's a lot anyway, but, and I was in an abusive relationship, so that wasn't fun. But the doctor looked at me and goes, are you okay? Have you slept? And I said, probably three days out of the last eight, uh, six weeks. And he goes, what? And I said, yeah, probably. And he's like, huh? And so uh, that was my life. And I lived in a homeless shelter too, uh, in a little apartment in the homeless shelter. And so trying to navigate that, but he like at two months, he would rock back and forth. We couldn't get professional pictures of him. Like he just, he never sat down to eat when he got older. He never watched TV. He didn't care about stuff that kids cared about. Like it, he was just, um, he was, he's so smart and awesome. He started walking really, really early. And the funny thing is he was huge, like huge. He was 30 pounds at six months. And so people thought he was a lot older than he was, but like, he was like eight and a half months and he, he was so big, but he was walking. He just always moved and, um, so smart and so like full of life. But at four years old, he was beating up everyone and he just couldn't contain his energy. And, he was bored at preschool and it was just a lot, but 
um i'm glad he got diagnosed and i tried all this stuff like no red dye and all these foods and don't eat this and don't added sugar blah 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 and uh that was that was hard because i couldn't afford a lot of stuff i was young and but i wanted him to be able to thrive and learn and he was just so full of like energy that he couldn't focus at all mm -hmm. and so he got diagnosed with what they called asperger's as well but maybe at i think six or so and he had a hard time reading and all this stuff and he went to this place called easter seals which was amazing and did this astronaut program and had an occupational therapist and then he started doing amazing and and i felt so bad for him because he would cry like he didn't understand he was very smart but he learned at his own pace so in mm -hmm. school he didn't understand certain things and he would cry when he had homework he hated it and so it was a it was a rough dynamic my older son learned everything very easily and my younger son was struggling and he would get upset that his brother just would easily like know these things and so that was very frustrating for him and challenging for him so i just felt bad and as a parent you want to fix it so right. uh, yeah but now he's doing amazing he is uh 20 years old and um just turned 20 years old actually uh 12 days ago and uh has a new place and just moved to north carolina with his girlfriend i'm putting his business on blast <laughs> and he's doing great absolutely great i'm so proud of him he's like able to focus he got promoted at his job that he was working at and was a manager it's just awesome but anyway so it was a a journey different than yours but when your son when they started saying that how old was he at that time um i want to say he was around eight or nine i believe okay. do you find now that you're a coach do you find uh what is, do you think is the typical age for boys usually that get diagnosed it honestly kind of depends on the severity right um also the 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 resources that the parents have right um, so we know from when it comes to ADHD, most children who have it have, um, certain genetic markers. So there, you know, there is a, you know, whether it's a predisposition to having ADHD due to environmental issues or just an actual, just like they have ADHD, it's just kind of very, that one's kind of up in the air, still trying to figure that one out. Um, but we do know that there's differences in the brain structure. There's differences in the seven different areas of the brain where um, there's you know, certain different sizes, the communication channels, the dopamine and things like that don't quite communicate quite as effectively. Um, and this just kind of leads to children with ADHD being a, a little bit neurodevelopmentally behind um, their, their, their peers, uh, neurotypical peers. And the thing is, is that they're not stupid. Mm -mm. you know they like you said earlier they just learn at a different rate and they learn different things you know based on their capabilities unfortunately a lot of parents out there don't quite understand this and so they're like 
why does my child act, you know, who's five act like they're three? Why does my child who is six act like they're four? Well, because mentally speaking, your child is actually at that point, um, developmentally speaking. Um, whenever you combine things like autism into the mix, you've got, now you've got to deal with social um, neurodevelopmental right. issues. And then so that uh, a child who is five probably isn't, you know, may not be speaking yet, or they may speak in different ways, or they may not have the correct language for certain things. And that's very frustrating, not just for the parent who has to deal with this, but also for the child. Of course, they, yeah. They, 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 their peers can talk, right? They're, they want to talk, but they don't have the, there's just certain parts of their brain that just doesn't quite click together um, the way that it should. And, you know, when it comes to, you know, ADHD, like it's so hard for us to sit still because our motivations as children are so dramatically different than our peers. Everything that is interesting and novel is super fun for us. We want to have those experiences and anything that's just repetitive and, and done over and over again, we're just like, that's boring. So watching the same TV shows over and over again is not something that they're going to do as well as, uh, or like other children seem to. And, you know, being still and like keeping their feet forward. So like a lot of our schools and education systems, the, the child is supposed to sit with their feet flat, their eyes forward. They, you know, does everybody remember those signs that used to be on the walls that say, yeah. uh, <clears throat> but the problem is, is children with ADHD don't do that, right? We have to move in some way, right? Especially if there's other issues like stemming and things along those lines, you know, and that's just a really big part of it. Now, when we have parents like you and me who are kind of educated on this uh, situation and we can understand the need for early intervention and not just like drugging the children, medication is necessary for some children. I'm not gonna sit here and BS on that. However, we know that therapy, occupational therapy, early intervention therapy, um, trauma-informed uh, therapy for parents, and making sure that the parents are just as informed as they can be on how to manage effectively with the child, putting in place positive parenting techniques. Um, because children with ADHD and autism don't get spankings like other children. That, that consequence doesn't make sense to us because our memories don't work as effectively so that when, by the time, you know, the parent is punishing us, we've already forgotten what we did. And so now it's just a parent who we're supposed to trust most in the world is hitting us and we don't understand why. And so this causes a lot of anxiety to build up because like, we don't know why. Like every now and then just mom or daddy hits me. And even if it's just light spankings and stuff like that, the confusion is still there. And so that's why positive parenting techniques have to be put in. So like putting in place and, and understanding like, hey, positive encouragement for the things that you want them to do, right? Mm -hmm. Even if, you know, especially if the child is trying to be helpful, like, yes, they may screw up. They may drop the jar that they're trying to bring you. They may spill the cup that they, that they, that they have that they're trying to bring you. When we yell at them or, uh, or, God forbid, hit them because they spilled the cup that they were trying to bring us because they were trying to be sweet and nice and bring us something to drink. What are we doing to them? Right? We're punishing the good behavior. So what we have to do is like, even if they do mess up doing something that they're, where they're trying to be helpful is we have, we have to educate them. All right. What can we learn from this? 
And if they're in a place where they can kind of learn that, cool. But if not, just being patient and understanding and kind with you know the children and, and understanding that they were trying to help. So, all right, let's let's clean it up. And so like teaching them to clean up the mess is one of the first steps. Like my kids, I love them to death. You know, every now and then they'll do something like, oh no, my cup spilled over. All right, cool, let's get a towel and clean it up. And then my my son is so good at this. He like he'll go he'll run, grab a towel, come back, put it on the thing and and start like stepping on it because that's what I teach him to do. This is stepping on it. And like he'll, you know, he'll get it, he'll get done with it, he'll go throw it in uh the uh washing machine or he'll throw it in the dirty clothes. And he's four, mind you. Yeah. Um uh my daughter is a little bit more um developmentally challenged due to just she had a brain bleed early on, but they were born at 27 weeks, so they were both very premature. Wow. So you know, but the therapist came in and they they took the time to educate us, which of course ignited my hyper focus again. And since they ignited my hyper focus again, I started learning everything there was to know about parenting, especially in parenting neurodevelopmental challenged uh, children. And like, even if my kids weren't neurodevelopmentally challenged, didn't have ADHD or didn't have autism, the things that we put in place for them regardless will be beneficial if they're even if they're neurotypical. And that's one of the frustrating things about our education system is they put in place the things that would help children with ADHD or autism fit, fit in better. It would still be super beneficial for neurotypical children. So um, things like letting them start later, right? Not forcing them to be in the age group they are supposed to be in, but right. starting them a year or two years behind so that they are actually in the mental space to be able to understand the things that you're trying to teach them. Um, I'm a firm believer of kind of let, letting them socially speaking, hang out and, and ha have friends who are younger than them. And that's not something that you typically see because they're forced to be in a class that's of the kids the same age as them. But again, they're not at that place. And that's where a lot of the problems come from, right there. Everything I'm mentioning that gets, you know, where the parents are yelling at the ch children, right? We know that by the age of 10 to 12, that the average neurodivergent child has had 20,000 more negative criticisms leveled against them than neurotypical children. And we feel things more. We take everything that everybody says around us, regardless of what it is, and because of how our brains work, that's how we develop our self-perception. Neurotypical children have a little bit more independence as far as that's concerned. Their brain, they can actually have a more, a better self-awareness, self-conceptualization that's independent of the thoughts and environment that, we, that they live in. Not all of it, because that's just how we humans work. But for us, we don't have the same self-awareness, that same self-conceptualization. It doesn't work as well for us. And so we take significantly more of the things that we are told about ourselves as who we are yeah and wow that's all positive. good points yeah, yeah. so uh i want to touch on a lot of things that you said because it's like my life uh going looking back at that um i didn't understand what to do to help both of my children mm -hmm. and so 
it got to the point where my son was so frustrated. And the first time he got medication, he reacted horribly. Uh, he picked up the dining room table at four years old and threw it across the room. Uh, That's stressful. <laughs> holy moly. Uh, and he tackled his older brother, who was two years older than him, to the point where he almost made him bleed. He was punching him continuously. So what do you do? Um, I tried so many things with him and I had a great team eventually when he got a little bit older, I had a case manager. That was my rock. She was my second parent. She was amazing. She helped me so much. I, she was such a blessing. I mean, I, I can't even like, I, I left the area that was in Ohio, but if I ever, this is, uh, if you ever watch this, ma'am, uh, I'm not going to call her name out, but if I ever, 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 ever get rich or successful, I'm going to find her and I'm going to buy her something so nice because she does not understand how she helped me raise my kids and both of them, not just the one, not just the one. So the point is that I, you know, sometimes I would try time out. He hated it. Okay. That bothered him because he didn't want to be away from everything. Uh, he didn't understand, but I did try spanking him a few times because he was hurting him. I didn't know what to do. Like, and he had to go to the mental hospital at that young of age and everybody loved him. He was such a good kid. He was such a sweetheart. He was so loving and cuddly and he didn't like to be touched, but if he loved you, there was like a couple of people he would take to, and he would be very like loving with them. Um, but it was, it was, it was hard. So there are times that I spanked him. There are times where he would be in a daze where I didn't even know if it was my kid. I remember one time he was standing on the counter and he was four years old and he was standing on the counter with a glass and it was like, he was going to hit me with it. So the only thing I thought of to do, because I was the mom and the dad was to try to scare him out of it. So very loudly, I said, do it like that. Right. He snapped out of it and he goes, hi, mom. And I said, huh? and I acted like it did. It. I was like, huh? Because I knew it wasn't him. Like, I, that sounds weird, but it was, he was in a, like a, some kind of, I don't know. So I said, hi, honey, helped him off the thing, took the glass away from him. And it wasn't a glass. It was like a glass drinking glass, not like a piece of glass. Mm -hmm. And he went and played. And so trying to navigate all that, you know, there are times where I spanked him, but he spanking didn't mean jack crap to him. He did not care. He it hurt his feelings, but he did not react to it as in a punishment. And you just explained it perfectly because I didn't understand at the time. Yeah. I just knew like, if you're hurting your brother, why would I hit him if he was hurting his brother? I, I didn't hit him all the time. It was just to the point of like, if it was something so severe and I didn't know what to do, I would pull him away from it. But there was a lot of like, isolating which is I feel bad but for him and I try to teach him and stuff and I would get help and I would be like what do I do what do I do when he's crying and he doesn't understand well you have to give him breaks you have to let him learn it on his own and you have to be patient with him and so I started implementing those things but I'm telling you right now I'm not perfect and it was hard and now that I realize that I have ADD I know 100% I need to get diagnosed but I really do um, and I put everything together of my own life from when I was little. 
And people would say to me, making fun of me, you have ADHD. And my family would say, like my cousins, they would be like, we don't want your, don't start today. And I'd be like, start what? Like, I didn't understand what the heck that meant. What am I starting? But like, so now I look back and I'm like, oh crap. Like, <laughs> okay. Uh, I was driving everybody. Uh, because I just like, overly cared what people thought I wanted to do. And I, I am, I love to help people. I'm a nurse and I, but I, of course I was not then I've always wanted to help people since a little kid. Like I hated fighting. I didn't understand it. I would go tell and get adults and people would be so mad at me. Like, Hey, what are you doing? Cause they loved fighting. I hated that. I didn't want people to get hurt. I didn't understand the concept of that. Like, why are we hurting each other? It's so stupid, but mine was, I just, I cannot focus, like could not focus nothing. Um, there's so many times that now I think it's really hilarious. Cause I look back and I'm like, okay, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. Okay. you know? And so, but as a little girl, like I wasn't like my son that moved continuously. My mind moves continuously, even at yeah. this. Um, so, and you taught me what that was and we'll talk about it. Like what the name is for that but I knew I was different. I've always been different. And that's what people tell me. You're weird. You're different. And I'm like, oh, but I love it. I don't care. I call myself a, I love being weird. I think it's cool. You know, uh, there's no, like who defines what normal or weird is. Right. So to me, I'm okay with being different. Maybe not as a little kid. I mean, who wants to be told you're weird, but, um, so, you know, looking back then, how I saw how my son was. And then that was my definition though of ADHD because his was very severe. And now, you know, learning and talking to people like you, Shane, um, that you taught me a lot. And so, and then looking things up and everything and realizing that there's not just one type, right. Um, there's, and you know, maybe like his, I'm, I'm not gonna, I was gonna say something about his dad, but I'm not going to do that. His dad has something, but my son also got diagnosed with, um, at first it was just like a mood disorder and then bipolar and all that stuff, like you said. And that makes sense um, as well. And I think it's just, there's just so much going on that what do you call, right? So like, it was like Asperger's and ODD and ADHD and uh, bipolar and things. I mean, just so many things. And then Sometimes in life, like to me as a parent, though, I didn't want those diagnoses to define like him or make excuses for him. So when he got into school and we had an IEP, it became we have to have a meeting because my son got in trouble in school that the cops got involved and it was it's the diagnosis. And I'm like, I taught him better. Like, you know, so it's not. I understand that it affects things, but don't make it as an excuse to do bad things. But what's well, your opinion? Yeah. So here's the thing. When we're looking at things like ADHD, Asperger's, um, oppositional defiance disorder, um, and different issues as far as that's concerned, you know, there's a, there's a very clear difference that we need to make sure that we're putting in place about the difference between an excuse and a reason. Okay. Right? understanding how hard it is for a child 
right? Think child. To, you know, whenever they are dealing with issues like ADHD, autism, oppositional defiance disorder, where it's an emotional regulation problem, they are, and also we need to make sure that we understand with ADHD, there's also an inhibition issue, right? The different parts of the brain that can control those two different things causes them to do things in such a fast way and to react right. in certain ways in such a quick way that they don't even realize it happened. Very impulsive. And, right. And, you know, and not just impulsive, though, there's another aspect of this, and you actually talked about it. There's a social justice action in our brains. Okay. There's a sense of this is how supposed to, uh, or things are supposed to be, and these people aren't doing it. Right. And so when we teach children, right, that they are, you know, that they're good kids, that they're, you know, they're supposed to do certain things and, and so, supposed to do things a certain way. And then when they do do those things, they get in trouble. They start getting stressed out. When they're dealing with anxiety and stuff like that, and then and things where they're just kind of uh, constantly don't feel like they have any agency as well. They're not able to make their own decisions. They're not able to make any mistakes. They're, they're not allowed to make any, like, to do anything for fear that they're going to mess it up. Mm-hmm. When we start to take away the agency of children and, you know, and, and having those issues like that, there's a lot of stress and frustration that builds up. Stress and frustration that builds up over time for people with ADHD turns into emotional dysregulation moments where they have that explosive uh, issue where they scream, they go in rage, they uh, snap, they throw things, they like they lose their ever-loving mind. And a large chunk of it is they don't have control. They, they, right. They're not in control of what's going on at that point. That is the reason. However, we still have to teach them how to process and deal with that. So how do we process and deal with that? We teach them how to manage stress and frustration. Like, hey, when you're feeling like things are really uh, overwhelming, what do we, like, let's look at what we can do to allow you to do things. What, number one thing, send their asses the fuck outside. <laughs> <laughs> Go play. Like, like, no, and, but that's, I mean, like, and I, and a lot of people are like, you know, oh, you know, you know, you know, that's funny. Ha ha. No, no, I'm being dead serious. Sure, yeah. There's a thing about being outside for a number of different reasons that allows children to burn energy. Now, problem education system. We've seen a huge decrease in recess, especially as children get older, where the kids are able to go outside and play and burn off stream, uh, steam. What else are we seeing? We're seeing a huge increase in emotional outbursts in school systems where kids are just acting out and acting fools. Now, again, this is an excuse, but it is a reason to pay attention to why do we need to have recess for children who are between the ages of you know, uh, you know, one all the way up to uh, 15, because some kids have to have it to manage their emotional regulation. When you force a child to sit in a chair, to act a certain way, to answer questions, and then, you know, they have to deal with their peers making fun of them. They have to deal with the teacher making fun of them. They have to deal with people judging them and, and saying they're stupid. We're dealing with more and more stress and frustration. And again, if they haven't learned how to manage that, which is why therapy is so important, early intervention, having a safe space at home, if they don't have those things and they can't manage it, so then they start acting out more. They start lashing out more. They start having more and more emotional regulation moments. They get in trouble with 
doing really stupid things because their impulsivity kicks in. And the more stress and frustration that they deal with, the harder it is for, for them to manage their um, ADHD. And, and here's the thing. I don't want you to feel bad about what you did as a, uh, as a young parent. Thank you. you. Didn't know. There's no way to know these things because we're not taught these things as kids, right? We weren't taught this way. My first two kids, I completely fucked up. <laughs> right i know I, I mean, and i'm being you know yeah no i'm I, laughing because I, I did yeah. too my 22 right. and my 20 year old yeah right and so like i messed up i completely screwed up i you know i spanked them i yelled at them you know and as a person with adhd i was working 80 to 100 hours a week when i was working because i was trying to be a provider i was trying to be there for them their mother was stay, being a stay-at-home mom she was abusive towards me i was abusive towards her because emotional regulation issues affects adults as well. So whenever she'd snap, I'd snap. We'd feed off each other's negative energy and we'd start just yelling and screaming at each other. And while I wasn't physically abusive to her or anything, I was emotionally and mentally abusive to, towards her. And I recognize that now. And I've, you know, that was, that was a big part of the change I made from my um, 27 to 31 was to really get a handle on what was going on with me. Now, I didn't, again, I didn't know I had ADHD and I didn't know I was autistic, but I did know that I just needed to be able to function mm-hmm. um, and deal with those things. And, you know, so there's reading a lot of self-help books and all that whatnot that you do as, a, as an adult and just accepting who I was, right? That's the big thing. That's the stressor that kids have to deal with masking we talked about it briefly earlier yeah masking starts super young especially for kids who are in an environment where there's a lot of abuse a lot of um and i mean a legit abuse where there's their father their mother is abusive their brothers and sisters are abusive because the child just doesn't quite fit in and school is very abusive because the kids are in a social circle that doesn't quite that doesn't understand them because they're not of the same mental age and so there there becomes a point where since they don't feel like they can fit in they become somebody they feel can fit in and if they're in a bad environment and they go to a school that's not the greatest school sometimes those people that they're mimicking are kids who are more out there more extreme well, that's okay. I can do that kind of stuff too because it seems fun, mm-hmm. interesting, novel, fun. Oh, jumping off the bridge. I can do that. <laughs> like, oh, they jumped off a bridge. I'm going to jump off that building. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to do it bigger. <laughs> right. I'm like, and so, you know, and so as they kind of get older and everything, like, if they had, like, you can always change, right? Even as adults with, um, with a, you know even as parents who have adult children there's never a point where it's too late to change and be better parents to them and be better support for them you know and get help for yourself and get into therapy and find an ADHD informed therapist and find a trauma informed therapist because we have to have both of them because we had fucked up childhoods and fucked up adulthoods and we were in abusive marriages or we were homeless or we were you know by the way same (laughs) you know homeless and stuff like that um but at the same time once we understand what we are dealing with it is time to get help right talking to a psychiatrist getting diagnosis talking to 
an ADHD-informed therapist so that we can start learning the skills that we need to have to manage the different aspects of ADHD, the tr working uh, through things with a ther trauma therapist so that we can start dealing with PTSD and depression and different issues like that, really starting to understand how to manually um, manage our emotional output. And what do we do if we do have an explosion? What do we do when we have a freak out moment? What do we do to communicate, hey, this is overwhelming and stressing me out. I've got to take a break. And putting in place boundaries for those people around us who like to push those buttons and putting in place boundaries for ourselves to not allow ourselves to be in those situations where we get triggered. That all comes from therapy. You know, as a coach, what I do is uh, on the other side of that coin is the practical aspects, right? How do we learn how to understand who we are? How do we, because we, we we've developed this image of who we are that is this horrifyingly negative thing. I am a horrifyingly annoying person. I am really hard to deal with. I am very socially awkward. I am, I say the wrong things at the wrong time. I am dramatic. I am overly talkative. I am, you know, all these negative things about ourselves. We develop this understanding of who we are through that negativity. And so what we have to do is we have to take a whole bunch of steps back and really start to understand what our values are. We need to understand who we are as a person without the negativity beings there, objectively understanding who we are. And as a coach, that's what I help people understand. And then practical aspects, like what kind of system do you need? Because people with ADHD and autism need external tools to be able to maintain the same sort of uh, uh, system that neurotypical people have, because that's not how our brains work. Neurotypical people have an internal system that works for them for motivation, for you know, ability to do certain things, ability to think about certain things in a certain way. We don't have that same system. We have a intuitive system that's more built around in the moment of interesting and novel challenges that have urgency and follow our passions. We don't go to the nine to five and, and enjoy that drudge work, right? We go to really dynamic fields where there's a lot of action and things change all the time. And there's always interesting things and novel things like emergency services, nursing, doctors, military, police officers, firemen, uh, high-end sales, high-end uh, business opportunities, entrepreneurs. That's what we do because we need those things in our lives. Now, a lot of people fall into the, uh, the trap of, I need to be like a neurotypical. I'm looking for normal, right? Normal doesn't exist, by the way. There's no such thing as normal. Um, when it comes to humans. Um, but I, it took so long for me to understand those things. It took a five foot tall black lady who was my therapist to get in my face and scream at me one day. Like literally like in my face, like there is no normal. Stop asking to be normal. And it, like for some reason that finally clicked. I guess it was just like, <laughs> you know, that's just what it took. And all of that is so difficult. Right. And as parents, we didn't learn that stuff as kids. So we carry a lot of generational trauma. We apply it to what we do the best we can. As long as we're like saying things like, I'm not going to be as bad as my abusive father who beat the living tar out of me. So as long as I don't hit my kids in anger, I'm good. Well, I still have to swath their behinds to spank them to get them to understand it. Right. That's, that's kind of where our brain goes. But until we get into our 
upper 20, uh, 20s and 30s and we start really taking the time to learn, we're not in a mental space to be able to put in place a, a lot of those stuff, especially if we're untreated, undiagnosed, and, and we're just like in super stressful, high, uh, frustrate, high frustration levels of uh, our own adulthood. We, again, it's not an excuse. It's a reason. And like, we have to recognize it as such. A reason means we have to improve upon it, right? And excuses, I can't help but do this. You know, and this is all there is to it. And I'm not going to be better because this, this is why I do it, right? A reason is, okay, what can I do to fix this situation, right? Where do I start? Okay, now working with professionals, that's where you start. Work with professionals who understand what you're dealing with and then working through a process that's put in place that we know scientifically works for those people who deal with these issues and accept who you are as objectively as you can not the negative shit that you've been told but who you are now and yeah. then moving forward from there and that's how we have to learn how to be better parents better people better husbands better wives it all comes from there wow i just want to say that uh you're so amazing and you're so smart and well-versed and i love it and you're very helpful and even though you know, uh, I say even though, because sometimes the way that I speak is confusing to people, but you don't speak like that. So you speak very precise and it makes sense and it follows an order. So that's awesome. And I love the name of your company. We're going to talk about it for a second, but, um, but that's really awesome because you, you make sense, a lot of sense, and you have a lot of knowledge about it and it's easy to follow and, you can make sense to anybody. Uh, you know what I'm saying? It's not just because sometimes I make sense to neurodivergent people. Like I do because they can follow my bing, bong, bing, bong, bing, bong, 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 bong. And they're like, oh yeah. And everybody else is going, what? <laughs> they're puzzled. They have no clue where I went, where I was, what is the point? No clue. But I love that you said that you need to figure out who you are. And I love that you help people with that because you're right. Like I talk about that a lot now that I realized that I was letting the negative thoughts and opinions of others really make me feel like when I looked in the mirror, that's what it was, is what, who I was is what they said or thought of me. And that's not true at all. And so it's really important to know your values and your morals and your, all those things make you who you are. Yeah. Um, sometimes I'm late to stuff. Okay. But that doesn't make me who I, that's not me. Like Danielle is kind and loving and caring. I will do anything for anyone, but you know, but yeah, sometimes I'm late. I used to be late to everything, every single, every single thing. Uh, but, but knowing those things, and I love that you say, don't listen to the negative stuff. Yes, we have negative stuff and we do have to face that and we need to work on it, but don't, base everything off of the opinions of others, because you'll never reach your full potential. You won't even like know what you want. Like, and I love that you help people know what they want. So there's a such thing as an attentive 80, right? 80. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so I think that's what, uh, what I have. Um, and there's lots of different kinds. Um, what advice can you give someone with any kind of, um, autism, ADHD, anything, bipolar, any mental health disorder, what can you give them to 
help focus on the task and actually get things done and finish them because I will start 240 things, right? Uh, but do I finish them is the question. So what advice can you give? So there's a lot of things there. Um, so <laughs> let, let's let's start with the inattentive ADHD and, and keep me in line because I'll forget 90% of what you just said. Um, okay, me <laughs> too. That's how brain works. <laughs> um, so, uh, so here's the thing there's different presentations of uh, the whole gamut of different symptoms that are all fall under ADHD. ADHD is very much a spectrum style uh, disorder, not AD, not autism. They're separate things, but there's, there's just different symptoms that different people deal with at different times. So um, those were classified into inattentive, hyperactive, and uh, combined. Now, we are slowly getting a better understanding of this where we know boys happen to tend to be much more hyperactive and um, girls tend to be a little bit more inattentive in their age ranges. Now, as people get older and they start to develop coping mechanisms and they start to develop different um, strategies that they put in place by accident or even through therapy if they had early intervention um, or just like, you know, my life is fucking shit, I gotta do something, you know what I mean? Um, they start to develop uh, these different coping mechanisms. And then, then we start seeing people really having more combined systems. And, you know, and, you know, and then how a person goes into the doctor and starts getting their diagnosis is where we see people starting to say, okay, well, you have inattentive or you have hyperactive. Very few adults have hyperactive, by the way. But inattentive ADHD is a hyperactivity of the mind. Right. It's internal. And, you know, most of the time, not all the time, women have a higher propensity to do that because as your environment, you were taught to be seen and not heard a lot more than boys were. And so it just kind of very, de it depends on your upbringing and what you were taught that you were supposed to be and how you should be to how you present in the future. Um, and that changes over time, depending on your environment and, and what you're allowed to do and what you uh, cope with and how you deal with the frustration and stress and things of that nature. Now, how do you deal with mental health? First, see a professional, see a therapist, get diagnosed with the things that you deal with. If you need medication for emotional regulation, that's very often the case. Be open to it. If you need medication for ADHD and a doctor wants to prescribe you, it's a process and take the time to go through it. Um, at least try that. But the big things that work is therapy, um, ADHD informed therapy, trauma informed therapy, um, and then kind of moving forward from there. Now, hobbies, jobs, relationships. Um, how do you stop from bouncing from one to one? Well, you don't. <laughs> So first of all, you have to understand your motivations. And I kind of go back to what I said earlier, interesting and novel challenges that have urgency and follow our passions. People with ADHD's passions change pretty dramatically over time, often. Yes. It's the new shiny. And how do we stop from doing that? Well, first off, recognize your process, right? Where do you normally stop, right? Do you get through the creative process? And then when you get to the monotonous shit, you're like, oh, I'm done, right? So think about uh, creative arts and stuff like that. Once you get to a point where you are bored with what you're doing, we try to force ourselves to go through that system and that situation. 
And since we force ourselves to go through that situation, we burn out on that. And then we hate it and we loathe it. We never want to touch it again. (laughs) So, but what we have to understand to start with is I'm going to do this. I'm going to have fun with this. I'm going to keep doing it until, you know, until it gets to a certain point. Then I'm going to take breaks, right? I'm going to get to a certain point. If I start to feel bored, cool, right? I'm going to not do that anymore. I'm going to switch to something else and be okay with that. That's the, that's the key. It's being okay with that because then later on down the road, somebody, you're going to meet somebody, you're going to, you see something and it's going to remind you that you've got that thing that you can go do that thing. Or you can hobby swap and you can sell those things to other people who are interested in doing that because you've never touched it again. Be okay with that. The other aspect of this is get into a social circle that enjoys the different things that you enjoy. There's almost always a trend of certain things that we always enjoy. Um, so some sort of artwork that we do. So maybe we go from painting to pottery to sculpting to all these different things, but it's all art creative stuff. Well, if we get in a social situation where so a social circle where a lot of people do those different things, we can maintain ourselves in that situation for longer periods of time. But again, when we get bored or anything, we have to shift to something else. So if we go from uh, painting to glasswork, be okay with that. I'm going to do this painting while I'm happy with it. But there's so many different ways to be creative in that realm. So there's always something new to explore. You just, it's okay to bounce from thing to thing. Be okay with that. You're going to do it. You don't have a choice in the matter. That's just how your brain works, right? Also, work on not hyper-focusing. Set time limits for how long you can do a thing. So an hour a day, two hours a day, three hours a day at most, right? When you set those time limits and don't let yourself get lost in it, then you don't burn out on it as fast. Mm -hmm. If you don't burn out on it as fast, you can enjoy it for longer. And so kind of making sure that you're paying attention to those different aspects of that. The final thing is just recognize the trend of the things that you enjoy doing. And just kind of follow that. This applies to work. Your work is almost always going to have something similar amongst all the different jobs that you really enjoyed. Not the ones you didn't enjoy because those all fucking suck and we were just working for money. But the things that you enjoy work-wise, find that trend. Those things that you enjoy hobby-wise, find that trend. Those relationships that you really enjoyed, find that trend as long as it's not toxic people that you just allow to run over you. And so... (laughs) Once you find these trends, then you can start to really understand your passions. And once you understand your passions, you can stay in that realm and not waste your time doing things just because it's the new and shiny. You can see here like, ah, that doesn't really normally, you know, mesh with me. I'll try it, but I'm not going to put a lot of money into it. I'm not going to put a lot of time into it. And so then like when, if you get to a point where you're like, oh, this is actually really fun. Then you can then you can put your stuff in it, but if not, then you can you haven't wasted a lot of time and money in it. So yeah. awesome! Well, thank you so much. You're so awesome. I thank you for coming, Shane. And really quick, how can we find you if somebody wants to hire you as a coach or wants to look you up or follow you? How can they follow you? So you can find me on Facebook at Creating Order from ChaosConsulting.com now because I've I've kind of branched out from coaching into public speaking and other awesome. things like that. Um, so creating order from chaos.com as well. 
You can also uh, find me at the Men's ADHD Support Group on Facebook. We are a nonprofit that is de uh, devoted to helping men um, learn and understand about ADHD, mental health, and how to get support and ask for help and understand like we're trying to redefine masculinity to be at this positive uh, uh, thing. So uh, men's ADHD support group.org. Um, we're newer nonprofit, but we're, uh, we're working with Chad, working with Ada and a large number of different uh, ADHD organizations as well. Um, so that's where you can find me. Thank you. This has been so informative. If you have a family member or you yourself has ADHD or, or autism or anything, I hope that this helped you go get diagnosed, go get help, get some therapy. Thank you so much, Shane. This has been a, so awesome and fun. And I really enjoy talking to you again. And I hope you have a great day. Thanks everybody for watching. Thank you. Bye. Talk to you later. <laughs>